You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. All right, so here's what I want to do. We're going to continue our God at a Distance series, and I want to start by inviting you to think about a specific situation that I am quite certain we have all experienced at some point in our life. I want you to think about a time in your life when you have been deeply embarrassed by something that you did or something that you said. So get like a real, I need you to be able to connect with me emotionally in this moment. So I want you to think about an actual time in your life when you were deeply embarrassed by something that you did or something that you said. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but nothing has caused me more frequent experiences of embarrassment than my mouth's tendency to work far faster than what my mind does. And so as I was thinking about this this week, I was like, well, I mean, how much time do we have? Because I have so many examples to run through. But I have one that really stood out to me from this year in particular. So for those of you that don't know, I'm in the midst of this two-year spiritual direction program being trained in the art of spiritual direction, which is really about helping people individually cultivate a relationship with God. And so you do that by helping people recognize where is God at work in their life and then how is he inviting them to respond. And so as a part of this program, I've had four, last year I had four in-person residencies in Ashland, Ohio. And uh, I remember my very first residency getting there that first night, didn't really know anybody. Our cohort was made up of about, I think, about 25 people. And within our cohort, we have these like small groups. We call them journey groups. And so I was so thankful because I got placed with this woman named Sarah Herring. And so she is the spiritual director uh, of my group. And so Sarah is the one who's next to me in white. Um, She is probably to date that I've experienced the most loving empathetic, intuitive, wise, and caring spiritual guide I have known in my entire life. And it, it's also important for you to know, as you can tell in the picture, can you put that back up? That she exclusively wears white. I've never seen her in anything but white. And that's going to be pretty critical to this story for you to really lock that detail away. So I think it was our second residency and we were having it's been the end of a long, emotionally draining week. And so we were ending by, uh, in our journey group, going around and um, sharing affirmations of one another. So each person had like a turn in the hot seat, and then everybody would go around and share something they'd seen God doing in them to encourage them, to edify them, to build them up. And so it was Sarah's turn to be affirmed, and it came around, and it was my turn to do the affirming. And I, in the moment, I was just like, it's so hard, you know, like you have this going through your head, like this person has been such a gift and such a blessing. I want to I be able to speak encouragement and speak life. And, and so I've got just all this weight built up behind it. And so I'm like, just I can feel in my, I'm like antsy in my chair. And I go, Sarah, you are like the white witch. <laughs> that was not her reaction. Her reaction was exactly like this. She goes, Just like that. And I died on the inside in this moment. Because you could just tell, like, believe it or not, I really intended this as a compliment, but it was so clear from her face 
that my intention and the way that it was received were completely misaligned. Like, it did not land. And I, for the life of me, I don't know what I was thinking. And her disappointment in my affirmation is understandable for a number of reasons. One, very few women in the history of the world have ever felt affirmed by being called a witch. Agreed? Just rarely goes well. Secondly, I was in a Christian spiritual direction program. Christian. So it's not like being called a witch is a compliment in our circle. Like, it's not Hogwarts. No one's pumped about their witchiness. So it didn't land there. And then third and most damning is that I, you, some of you are not nerds and don't know this. The white witch is the villain in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis's book. She curses Narnia. So it's always winter, never Christmas. And in my moment of greatness, I decided to call this sweet woman that demonic, evil witch who cursed an entire planet. So all, 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 everything was so clear. My affirmation failed on every front imaginable, and the result was in that moment, I was so, so mortified. And I just wanted distance. I wanted distance between me and Sarah. I wanted distance between me and the rest of the room. I wanted distance between me and myself. I was so ashamed of myself and mad at myself. And so all humor aside, think about a time you've had an experience, hopefully not that bad, but like that. And I want you to think about that reaction that we have, the desire to like, I have got to hide from this situation. And I want you to know that that desire to hide is driven by fear. And fear, in this case, in context, is the result of shame. And, 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 and shame is, as Kurt Thompson, a Christian psychiatrist, says very succinctly, shame is the felt sense that something is wrong with me. And shame is one of the most core issues in our life and our relationship with God and one another. And so to feel shame is to feel that natural instinct, like, I need to hide. And the problem with that inclination, which is understandable and a normal response, but the problem with it is that hiding hinders relationship because it makes intimacy with one another and with God completely impossible. And so much of what we're talking about in this God at a Distance series is really about rejecting what is so commonplace for so many of us, which is to relate with God at a distance and instead receive the invitation to experience intimate relationship with him. And so because of that, it's important that we understand what we're talking about when we talk about intimacy, because it's not a word that many people are super comfortable with, but it's a very important word. And oftentimes in our culture, we think of it only in the physical sense. And it's about so much more than just that. And so here's the simple way that I would define what intimacy is. Intimacy is the experience of being fully known by another. To have an intimate relationship with someone or with God is the experience of being fully known, meaning fully seen by another person or by God. And our problem with intimacy is that we all have parts of us we don't want to be seen. We have parts of us that we don't want to be seen by one another, and we have parts of us that we don't even want seen by God. And so this afternoon, I want to take just a couple of minutes and talk about the fear of intimacy. And to do that, I want to look at a story in the opening pages of Scripture in which the fear of intimacy, the fear of being fully known, forced a man named Adam and his wife Eve to hide 
from God. Now, my guess is a vast majority of us are at least somewhat familiar with the Genesis story, but just by way of review, uh, the Genesis story talks about God creating, and as the crown jewel of his creation, God creates humanity in his own image. And he places these two people, Adam and Eve, in a garden called Eden with, with just one singular role. They have absolute freedom. They are empowered to flourish in this garden, flourish in relationship with God, flourish in relationship with one another. And so much of that flourishing all hinged on this singular rule. And that rule that God said was, you can eat from every single thing in this garden, but do not eat from this one tree in the center of the garden called the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think sometimes when it comes to the rules in Scripture or the rules that God has set forth for us, I think we get a little upside down in the way that we think about them. And I think that we miss the heart of God's quote-unquote rules. Anytime you read a rule in the Bible, anything that's like, do this, don't do that, we should always read that as instruction for flourishing. Every guidance that God gives us is an invitation to trust him. He's saying to us, I, I created you, I love you, I am for you, and I am with you. And I want you to flourish in every facet of your life. And this is how that happens. <clears throat> and sometimes we choose not to trust and we do our own thing. And Adam and Eve in the Genesis story don't trust and they break this one rule. And we see their response to the way that felt to them in chapter 3, verse 7. So if you don't have a Bible with you, then just look at the screen. It's going to be up there. If you have a Bible, I'm in Genesis chapter 3. But listen to this in verse 7. So they just got done eating from the, this one tree God said not to. And verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, verse 7 marks a massive reversal of experience for Adam and Eve. Because if you actually rewind to Genesis chapter 2, specifically in verse 25, I believe, the text says that they were naked, yet they felt no shame. So nothing had changed in their outward appearance. They were naked in chapter 2, they're naked in chapter 3, but their emotional reaction to what is happening inside of them is entirely different between these two spots. Because now they know they are naked and they hide themselves behind fig leaves. And so I want you to notice this, they experience shame, that shame creates fear in them, and they hide. And that's the exact same thing that we have been doing ever since. And they're not only afraid of being fully known by one another. Notice it also goes into their relationship with God. Look at verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now here's what I find fascinating. Isn't it interesting that the sound of someone's approaching presence tends to invoke an emotional and a relational response in us. And, and here's what I mean by that. I remember the early days of my childhood. My uh, biological dad, for those of you who don't know, left when I was three. My mom remarried when I was five, and he adopted my brother and I. And so I remember these early experiences after my parents got married 
when my dad would come home uh, from work. And I remember hearing his truck outside of our house pull up, and I remember just being filled with comfort and filled with joy, thinking like, all right, dad's home, we're going to play. He was always warm and caring to us. So the sound of his approaching presence brought just immense comfort. But (coughs) it wasn't always like that. Because there were also days, I'm sure you had these too, when I was, let's just say, difficult on my mom. And then my mom would say, what has struck fear in the hearts of children for God knows how long, she would say, you just wait till your dad gets home. And I got to tell you, on those days, the sound of my dad's truck in the driveway had a very different effect on my heart. Because then I thought like, oh man, here it comes. And so Adam and Eve are in a very similar situation. They had once found the sound of God's presence in the garden with them as immensely comforting. But now it provoked fear. And the reason for that is that they were afraid of being fully seen and they were afraid of being fully known. But I would argue that the most important lesson is not about Adam and Eve's response in the midst of their shame, but God's example. Because look at verse 9. It says, So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, I want you to notice the way, like, just, just if you don't know this, like, God was not unclear on where Adam and Eve were. He wasn't unclear on what had happened. The scriptures talk over and over again about God's omniscience, that there is nothing that he does not know, nothing that he is not aware of. And so think about his response to them. He says, where are you? It's important for us to take note of that because the most consistent picture of God in Scripture is one of him being a pursuer. I want you to think about in Luke 19.10. Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came to seek and to save the lost. God's posture has always been one Of pursuit. God has always moved toward his people at their lowest point, even when their lowest point has come at their own hands. And I want you to notice that that God doesn't, again, God knew where they were, but notice he doesn't like march in behind this bush and drag them out. He calls out to them with an invitation, he invites them to come out of hiding. And notice how Adam's response captures our own tendency. In the midst of his shame and hearing God call out to him, he says, I was afraid of you seeing me as I am, and so I hid. And what I want us to understand is that though we may not hide in the woods from God, like I, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever met anyone that has like physically tried to hide from God before, but the truth is we all hide from intimacy with God. And we do it in a number of different ways, but the more I thought about it this week, the more I feel like I see three ways in which we are most commonly attempting to hide from intimacy with God. So you might want to make a note of these and see if you can find your own tendency somewhere in this. Here's the first one. Three ways that we hide from intimacy with God. Number one is carefully curated prayers. Carefully curated prayers. Here's what I mean by that. Many of us have been conditioned 
and have adopted a view of God, a view of a God with such a weak constitution that he seems unable to bear the weight of our full experience. And so the result of that is we have these carefully curated prayers that are fully sanitized so as not to make God, and I think more than anything, not to make ourselves uncomfortable. And so we only, what I mean in essence is like we only pray to God about like the Christian stuff and the good stuff. And we are very reticent to bring the other, I don't know, 75% of our human experience to him because we have so learned to sanitize our prayers. And there's two problems with this. The first is this completely ignores the prayer precedent set in Scripture. I don't know how much time you've spent reading the prayers of Scripture, but they are what I would call gritty. And they represent the full scope of human experience. We see people praying in anger to God and sometimes in anger at God. We see people bringing their confusion and their disappointment and their hurts. We have a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, which means to lament, an entire book of the Bible that is just like one guy basically whining at God for a number of pages. That is what we see over and over and over in Scripture is these gritty, honest prayers. And so to pray these sanitized, pretty prayers exclusively is to completely ignore the precedent of prayer in Scripture. The second problem is, I am not sure there is anything that will sabotage your experience of God like sanitized prayers. I just think it destroys your experience of Him. And it creates this sentiment in your own heart where you believe that those good prayers, when you are in a good place, when you feel good, when you're happy, when you're not sad, when you're not disappointed, when you're not angry, when you're not doubting, that's the times where God loves you and accepts you. And that is just not true. And I would argue that these sanitized prayers are essentially lies that we offer to God. Because what we're doing is we're offering God half-truths. We're, we're saying like, here, here's, I'm, I'm, I love you, um, I pray, uh, I trust you, you're good. And God's like, yeah, but what about, what about all that? Like it's a half-truth to only talk to God about this tiny segment of our experience. And I don't know what it's like in your house, but in our house, a half-truth is still a lie. And so much of the time, when we have been, learned to pray these very curated, sanitized prayers, <clears throat> then what we're offering to God is half-truths at best. So there are a number of ways that we hide from intimacy, but one is certainly that we carefully curate our prayers. And God invites us to just speak freely. You're not going to crush him. You're not going to hurt his feelings. I would argue you're not even going to make him angry. He welcomes our honest communication. Secondly, second way that we hide from intimacy is through constant hurried activity. Constant hurried activity. I genuinely believe one of the most common drives behind the pace at which some of us live is an attempt to prove to God, to prove to ourselves, to prove to others that we are worthy of love. And so we go, 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 do, 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 because we think, man, if I work hard enough, if I produce enough, if I do enough, then God will see that I am worthy of love. 
But that transactional relationship is the antithesis of grace. And so you need to understand, I mean, we literally live in a state that is founded on the notion of works-based righteousness. It is founded on the premise that you have to perform in order to be worthy of God's acceptance and love. And that is not found in Scripture. It's just not. And it is not the heart of God toward us at all. And so when we do simple things like when we just sit in stillness with God, which is why we do that in our services and why I would encourage you to practice that at home, when we just sit in stillness with God, when we do things like stop working and take a Sabbath, when we just stop, we are are, are invited to simply be with God. And to just simply be is to embrace grace. So we're looking at three ways that we hide from intimacy. The first is through carefully curated prayers. The second is through constant hurried activity. And then finally, number three, is chronic numbing behavior. Chronic numbing behavior. More than anything, hiding from intimacy is about hiding from the way that intimacy makes us feel. We feel exposed and vulnerable. I mean, that's exactly what Adam and Eve were experiencing. They felt exposed, understandably so, and vulnerable. And some of us hate and fear those feelings so deeply that we will do almost anything (coughs) to avoid, especially through numbing activity. So that can be, (coughs) I don't know what's happening here, that can be through (coughs) the abuse of substances, It can be through food, it can be through sex, it can be through entertainment and media consumption, it can be through this like weird lopsided uh, religious activity stuff that we do. Like you can run from intimacy with God by being so involved in ministry. And so we do that in so many ways. And the problem is we forfeit the healing experience of being fully known by God when we are numb to the ability to feel those things. And so the healing relationship that we all long for, even if we don't fully understand it, waits in intimacy with God. And so here is a simple big idea I want you to understand this afternoon. Intimate relationship with God is an invitation to be fully known by Him. That means everything good in you, everything bad in you, and everything ugly in you. It's the invitation to be fully known. And here is the tragic irony in all of this. And I know, I think anyways, the vast majority of you know this, but you know that there is no part of your past that God does not know. And there is no part of your present struggles and shortcomings that God does not know. And there is no part of your future that God does not fully know. And this is exactly what David was talking about in Psalm 139. He said, Lord, you have searched me and known me, which if you know anything about David's life, had to be pretty unnerving for him. He goes on, he says, you know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. So there is no 
part of our experience that God does not already know. And because God already knows you fully, hiding only hinders your experience of his healing compassion, but it in no way hinders his knowledge of you. So we are the ones that suffer. We are the ones that are cut off when we refuse to take the steps necessary to pursue intimacy and relationship with God. Hiding grieves the heart of God, and it hinders the intimacy for which our souls long. And so the question is, will you face your fear and embrace God's invitation to be fully known? And the first steps for us in that direction are very simple. Just take those three ways we hide and flip them on their head. So pray gritty prayers that are honest about where you really are. Look for opportunities to slow down and to move at the pace of Jesus. And be very, very careful about any chronic behavior in your life that numbs your awareness, that numbs your feelings, that numbs your emotional life, that numbs your experience of God. And as we begin to notice and pay attention and to take steps in all of these things, then we will begin slowly but surely to develop a much more deep and meaningful and real relationship with God. So will you embrace your fear, face your fear, and embrace God's invitation to be fully known? I pray that we will. Let me pray for us, and then we'll have an opportunity to respond to what God said. Father, we thank you that you are a good father. That when we fail, that when we feel <clears throat> embroiled in shame, that you don't wait for us to get over that and to feel better and to be better, that you come toward us. And we thank you that your consistent posture has always been and will always be one of pursuit. And so, Lord, I pray that this afternoon, each and every one of us would hear you calling out to us, where are you? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to see where we are prone to hide from you, where we are prone to avoid the way that it feels to be fully known by you. And I pray that you would speak very specific invitations into each of our hearts. You know us. With the psalmist, we can say you have searched us and known us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would invite us to whatever you know will lead to deeper relationship with you. We love you, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.